Fanfic Writers Craft is a podcast that discusses all things fanfiction with a focus on the art and science of writing for the enjoyment of fan communities. My name is Joe, aka Publisound, and I'll be your host for the next hour or so. My co-host, Lani, goes by the name Copper Dust. You'll meet her shortly. In today's episode, in honour of Remembrance Day, we talk about war. We talk about how to research war, write war, and explore the aftermath of war in fanfiction. We talk about what we find interesting about it, what drives us to write about it, and how we use these situations to paint a picture of the broader world that we live in. Please know that this episode does contain discussions of war-related violence. We don't really dive into too much detail, but still, if that's not your thing, feel free to pass. We hope you enjoyed this episode, but for now, buckle up, get yourself a nice cup of tea, and welcome to the Fanfic Writers Craft. Welcome to the Fanfic Writers Craft. This is Joe. I hope you're all doing well. We've just entered November, so good luck to anyone who is doing NaNoWriMo. I am not, but I'm I'm promising myself to try and write a little bit more. But it's like write more month, not write a novel month, because that's not gonna happen. How are you, Lani? What's been up? I feel like it's been a while since we recorded. Yeah, so I think I went to Montreal in between now and when we last recorded. Uh, so that was fun. It was a beautiful weekend and very unseasonably warm. I'm also not doing NaNoWriMo because it's it's not happening. I just don't have the time. But I did recently publish a new story, so I did get something done. And I know that uh, people who read my work are always like thinking I've abandoned the account because it takes me a long time. So I think now that that's up, I'm going to try and get back to doing my long multi-chap, like ongoing works, like check the spindle and, and so forth. That's great. Was that, um, that was a um, Greek kind of mythology fic, right? Check the, no, check the spindle is a... No, no, the, the, the one yeah. that you've just published. Uh, no, so that wasn't mythology. That was based on the Alexander trilogy, which mm, is based on the okay. life of Alexander the Great. So he was a real person. Obviously, the story is fictional, but it is based on, like, real-life people who did exist. Right. Yeah, I um, I published a new chapter of Castles, which I was very happy about, and weirdly, that I did not expect was going to happen, because um, I had written it last summer, but I hadn't edited it, and then when I edited it, I realized that it was kind of ready, um, so it only took me, like, a couple of weeks, and then... I posted, so thank you to everyone who has read that. Uh, that was great. So as you might have noticed from the title and from the date that this episode is going to be released on, we are releasing this episode on the 11th of November, which in a lot of countries is also known as Remembrance Day or the anniversary of the end of the First World War. And so Lani and I kind of thought that it would be fun to do a special on writing war in fiction and especially in fan fiction and, you know, our experiences doing that and what we can, you know, give in terms of advice uh, regarding that. So Lani, I wonder, as kind of like an introductory thought on this, what's your initial thoughts on, on writing war and what's your experience doing it? Um, it's something that really interests me and that I, I've written a lot and plan to write more. And I've also read a lot on this topic. So it's something where I think I, I have a lot to say. I would say that I think people need to understand that like 
writing war and being interested in war is not the same thing as being in favor of actually doing it in real life. I'm not a pro-war person. I'm, I believe that the more you learn about war and what it is, the more anti-war you become. So I just want to make that clear. But I think definitely it's, it's certainly a major topic in fiction and obviously a, a pretty direct source of conflict. And we know that stories have to have conflict. Uh, but there's so many different types of conflicts in war, like not just person versus person, but you have person versus society and like person versus themselves. Um, you have person versus elements. So you really have every type of conflict. And I think we like we've both sort of written things related to war where you've been sort of writing the aftermath of a war. Although you have written some scenes with Aurora's that are sort of a little bit more direct battle or action scenes. Mm -hmm. Um, involving like Harry as an yes. R, like doing arrests and stuff and doing raids. For me, I've also written like direct war and mm -hmm. indirectly about war, and I've written like direct battle scenes and so forth. So I, I've kind of had some experience um, with doing a number of those things. Yeah, yeah, no, I definitely agree. Uh, I think for me, the aftermath of war is probably what I'm most interested in because. I think we're drawn in fiction towards, you know, like big conflicts and big wars and big action scenes and things like that. Um, and my question, the question that I always have is always like, okay, but now what? Like when it's finished, now what? And I think, you know, in Harry Potter, for instance, you know, you've got like this whole story of, you know, the war and the build up to the war and all that. And then you know, the war ends and there's nothing. And then there's like this cute epilogue of like, everyone is happy. And like my brain just goes, okay, but what does that look like? Like where, how does, how do we get to that point? And I think the aftermath is something that I'm always very interested in. And I wonder, so what's kind of your process for writing war? And, you know, I think there's, there's a very big tension about, you know, the fact that we're both millennials and who haven't fought in wars. So how, how do you go about writing a war when you've not been in one, when you have to kind of put yourself in that position and, and gravitate towards that? Well, first thing I would say, I was actually really not into, interested in war when I was younger. I mean, I was, I was interested in things like like I was interested in learning about the Holocaust, partially because it personally affected me, but not the sort of war and battle aspects of World War II, only the experience of civilians. So I, I sort of came late to being interested in war because I think a, a lot of war as a kid, it was just so unrelatable to me that, you know, I didn't even enjoy like video games that involved fighting. I only wanted to play video games where you were building stuff. I, I so I, I just hated anything destructive. So um, I couldn't find it interesting at all when I was a kid. But I think um, as I've gotten older, what interests me is like, firstly, it's 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 trauma and like, how do people emotionally survive in societies that have rules and expectations that are completely counter to human thriving. So that makes me interested in war, but it also makes me interested in things like, you know, writing women mm -hmm. in, in uh, eras when, you know, women were very subjugated because again, it's like, how do you psychologically thrive in a society where everything is designed to kind of crush you? So that's obviously a source of conflict in novels. And I think it's 
It's a reason I'm really interested in historical fiction is that you can look at these societies and see how hard it would have been to be a person living under those kind of norms or expectations. That being said, like when I approach war, I think it's really important if you're writing about a real historic war, and we'll talk about like science fiction and fantasy wars in a few mm-hmm. minutes, because I think it's also important to be like, yeah, some some wars in fan fiction are like absolutely not based on real ones. Um, but if you're if you're writing based on a real war, you have to understand that war in its specificity. So not just what caused it, although that's one thing. But like, how did the societies involved in it perceive of war and understand war? Like, what was their moral orientation towards war? How do they understand masculinity? How do they understand heroism? How do they understand the concept of a just war or a justified or an unfair war? Did they have a concept of war crimes? What were the normal expectations around, you know, how you would treat captive enemy or captive women what would you do with the spoils of war because that that stuff varies culturally and by time period and so i think it's important that we not project all of our modern 21st century very human rights oriented beliefs on societies that didn't operate that way Um, and it's also important that we understand that as civilians you know we have a way of looking at these things and understanding them that is overwhelmingly like not informed by the kind of trauma that produces a really strong desire for vengeance. Whereas from the research I've done, some of the war crimes and, and terrible terrible abuses that, that take place in war are not, you know, just because people are evil innately, but you know, they're a result of like very young boys mostly being exposed to really unthinkable amounts of violent trauma and then um, the only way they know how to process their emotions is through rage and a desire for revenge and so I think that's that's helped me a lot in understanding Vietnam which is the conflict that I've kind of uh, that I've written most about and will be writing most about and definitely the the war that I kind of have the most in-depth understanding of but I've also written like war in warrior societies in ancient Greece very different culture very different understanding of the meaning of war very different attitude towards like the rights of the losers of war or what a what a human right is or who is entitled to what so it was really interesting to me I think exploring the world of like the Iliad and and ancient Greek warfare and um, trying to approach it on their terms before I immediately cast my judgments on my terms. Because obviously for me as a modern person, I look at, you know, the way they treated people and the way they treated women and I go like, that's a war crime. All of you are going to Geneva. Like, all of you are indicted. You're all monstrous. Like, all of these things would be understood as modern day, like, absolute war crimes. But, you know, you have to take a moment to think about like what what were the cultural beliefs in their society not just about war but also about death and the afterlife because we know obviously that people die in war mm-hmm. but the meaning of death in war can be different if you're a society that strongly believes in an afterlife that rewards warriors because for example in ancient Greece you might feel less pity for killing an enemy on the battlefield if you felt that, well, he fought honorably and he died in the most honorable way, which is to fall in battle. And so he'll be kind of respected and rewarded in the afterlife and that, you know, you granted him a good and respectable death. Whereas, for example, like a soldier in Vietnam killing an enemy VC, like would have no 
sense of like that kind of honor or respect for the enemy or or a belief in the kind of afterlife that would create some kind of positive meaning out of war like they would have had no concept of that so definitely like the the cultural beliefs make a huge difference to what war means in that society Mm -hmm. yeah and i wonder so obviously the topic of war is very much present in fiction in general and in fan fiction in particular i think generally media likes to write about it and i wonder why do you think that is why do you think that we as writers who generally speaking have not been in wars ourselves like to write about wars like what what is it that kind of draws us to that topic and i think and i think this is a particularly relevant question for a lot of people who might listen to the podcast and not write about it you know there's a lot of fan fiction out there that is just you know funny fluffy kind of uh, fanfic and it's kind of like, why do people write about war? And why is that topic interesting, do you think? Well, I'll, I'll give you my answer. And then I'll kind of turn the question back on you and ask for yours. I think war is the most dramatic and exaggerated version of something all of us do experience, which is interpersonal conflict and conflict against and with society. So everybody experiences conflict Conflict is not war, and yet war is kind of the end result of the most exaggerated of conflicts. Um, I think war also connects to the idea of death, and all of us are mortal, all of us are going to die, even if it's not in a war. So all of us are interested in death, because that is something that is universal to every single person in the world. And I think war also brings out the kind of extremes of human emotion, like we see extremes of of cruelty and hatred but also loyalty and love so you know awakening those like the the strongest versions of some of the most powerful emotions it obviously makes for interesting storytelling we also still live in a culture to at least to some extent not as much as ancient greece but to some extent still really glorifies war and sees it as like cool and sexy and heroic um Mm -hmm. So, you know, we're still influenced by that. I still get disturbed by a lot of the kind of attitudes on Remembrance Day that, you know, around children where when, when we say, you know, you were remembering the veterans who served this country, like I think serve is a really interesting euphemism. Mm-hmm. And I think we should be more honest about like, what is military service? Like, what does it mean to serve the military? Because we have to be honest, the military does certain things, you know, you can be defensive, or you can be offensive, but you're ultimately using violence to protect your citizens and property and attack those of your enemy. And it does involve killing people like, that's what it is. That's what it does. So Mm -hmm. I think part of it, for me, the interest is in trying to unpack the kind of vagaries and euphemisms and understand what literally goes on in a war in real life so that, you know, we get rid of these kind of vague phrases of like serving your country and going into mm-hmm. like, literally, what did you do? Yeah, no, I agree. And I think um, it's interesting what you're saying about um, the way we kind of honor and, you know, that word serve, because I think it comes from a time where the military wasn't career military as well. I think there's a very big difference between being a soldier in the way that you signed up for this and you, you know, you, you that is your career and that is, you know, you, you've got ups and downs or whatever, but that is your choice and that is your career versus 
wars that we've seen in the past where people were drafted or wars, you know, the position of a civilian caught in a war or something. So I think there's a huge difference in that that you kind of also need to address when you're writing fiction is it it's like what kind of war is this and and is this the disillusion of someone who signed up for this is signed up for something heroic and then is faced by the reality of what they're going through versus someone who's just kind of caught up in it through circumstances politics or or whatever so i think that's a very interesting topic For me personally, writing war is a funny thing because I didn't used to do it prior to writing Potter, to be honest. But I've recently kind of looked back on my fix and I think I didn't write about war literally. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I think, as you said, kind of in the introduction, there's a lot of different versions of war as well and versions of conflict. And I think... That is something that I've always been obsessed with is like the everyday courage and the everyday wars that people fight either professionally or personally or, you know, overcoming something. I wrote a post on Tumblr that was like, you know, if you're a single mother surviving on like a food stamps and stuff, that is a sort of war, like trying to make it through a hard time in your life Mm -hmm is a sort of war. It is a fight. It is a sort of war. And I think that is something that I've always been interested in. And that is something that I've always written about. And that's something that's probably in every single thing that I've ever written is this concept of trying to overcome hard things and to overcome hardships. And sometimes it takes the form of a literal war. And sometimes it takes the form of just you know, existing and surviving in society. I think I'm like very much interested in that concept of survival and choice and, Mm -hmm. and, and why do we, why do we humans in general want to fight, want to survive versus, uh, versus just, you know, giving up. And I think that is a thing that I'm very interested in. And I think the reason why I write about war today and the reason why I mostly write about war aftermath as well is kind of, answering that question and that's the question you know there's always this meme of like (laughs) writers only ever write about one thing over and over again and I think that's what I write about like that's that's the one thing that I want to write about is like this kind of constant struggle to move forward and to 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 believe in the future which maybe is a bit bleak I don't know (laughs) Um, but but I think that that's kind of the question that I'm trying to answer and that's where I see the appeal because I think it brings out a lot in terms of characters it brings out a lot in terms of you know plotting and all that stuff and kind of like showing what makes us human basically which is which is probably what a lot of people want to know and and want to write about Mm -hmm. i i think for me one of the things that interests me about war that's different from other kinds of struggle like the example you gave of like a single struggling single mother is that there's always this tension between you know well i was just trying to survive and i'm doing what I have to do versus confronting the things that you do actually have to do to survive in a war, which involves killing other people who you know are really just teenage boys like you. They're not criminals, they're not evil, they're they're people basically just like you who happen to be born in a different society. And how how 
soldiers live with the knowledge that that's what they do and like how do they process it and how do they allow their bodies to do it instead of sort of shying away from it and that's something that I'll be as chapters go on really exploring mm-hmm. in Merry Men is like how do you make yourself do things to other people that you know in your normal non-war self like you would never bring yourself to do and then how do you make sense of it afterwards so that's that's what makes it really different from the struggling single mother is that like she doesn't feel guilt about having to kill some like she didn't kill somebody to feed her children right so that's that's something but she might have done things that she regrets like stealing in shops or you know like you can I think there is, of course, it doesn't talk about death, but I think there is a common ground there. Do you know what I mean? I mean, she might, yeah, like, I, I understand. I just think war is something where it's this institution that that human beings have created that we now yeah. think is normal because we've heard about a million wars. I mean, how many wars have happened in history? Like, too many to count. And yet, if, you know, when you're a kid and a small child and you hear about war for the first time and it's explained to you, is your instinctive reaction not like, that's not true. That never happened. Like, because I know for me as like, you know, a three-year-old yeah. hearing about what a war was, I think my attitude was like, no, like you've explained it to me wrong because people wouldn't do that. So trying to understand, like, how do people do something that seems so mm. impossible to do? Like, how how is this something human beings are still doing? That really interests me. And then the other the other aspect is like, I like peering into worlds and lives that are different from my own and I think a lot of war is about kind of masculinity and culturally specific understandings of what it is to be a man and I'm not one (laughs) and I wasn't raised into masculinity right I was socialized into femininity so it, it interests me to sort of see things from the other side and imagine what it feels like on the other end so that's yeah those are all different pieces that interest me and then one part that interests me is quite simply even simply the man versus nature part of it, sleeping outside, not yeah. having enough to eat, being physically exhausted all the time, sleep deprivation, disease, like that interests me as well. Mm. Yeah, and I think that kind of is a good segue to one of the questions that you wanted to kind of talk about, which is, I suppose, so you're writing Merry Man, and that's that mm-hmm. features, you know, characters from Harry... Well, it's an AU, but it features characters from Harry Potter yeah. and specifically Marauder's kind of era. And, you know, there was a war in canon back then. And so what's mm-hmm. the appeal to you in writing a war AU, a muggle war AU versus you know, writing something that is originally featured in the books. Yeah, like, I understand the question of, like, why wouldn't you just write the war that was already there? Like, why did you Why did yeah. you have to make some other one? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think, firstly, I think my Marauder's work is responding not just to canon as it exists, but to kind of two decades worth of fanon content that also exists and um at least within the marauders era there kind of is like a like a sub canon of like the most important marauders marauders era fan fiction and like so i like i'm responding not just to the books but to my experiences reading these other materials a lot of which are au or are written for a more kind of adult audience with more serious themes so i didn't kind of just go from a to z where with a being like the children's book as it exists and Z being me putting them into this like brutal grisly story. There's a lot of like B B through Y were like 
all these other stories I read along the way where mm-hmm. we've seen this sort of corner of the fandom develop into something that's really of interest to adults and deals with more mature themes and topics and, and darker themes. So that's kind of a little explanation of like, you know, how I started going there because um, I read some really great uh, historical fiction AUs involving these characters. I mean, my favorite ones are the ones by um, Fluorescent Gray, but there's also some some other great ones that I've read. And that's kind of what's been sort of in between that and canon for me is just kind of, you know, this is fan fiction of characters who exist in fanon as well as canon. And the other thing is I felt that, so the nature of their relationship in canon is that they start off as this tightly bonded friend group. Mm-hmm. But you get a sense that the relationships are not equal. They're not all in all in the equal footing. There's a social hierarchy between them. There are two on the top and then another two sort of jockeying for position on the bottom. And then it all goes wrong, right? That's that's the basic dynamic of them. Even if you take them out of canon, that's like the, the main idea of who they are, right? And for me, that was like, that sounds like perfectly ready for like a war AU. Mm. Like that, that can absolutely work. One thing that I do want to point out is that when I was like setting up this AU and thinking about like, what are the the basic, like who's doing what, what are the, how are the roles being distributed? I thought about this idea of like antagonists and enemies. And I was like, how do I deal with like, who is Voldemort? Like what? Like, who, who is he in this real world scenario? And I decided that I don't want it to be something where the antagonists are just these sort of unknown, you know, Vietnamese soldiers where they don't speak the same language. They have no interpersonal relationships with the main characters. We don't know them. Mm. The, if any individual one that dies, like, is kind of like, we don't know who they are. So we don't feel emotional weight for their death in the same way. Like, I, I didn't want it to just be like, oh, Vol-, like you know, and it was also kind of racist to be like, you know, Voldemort and like the bad characters or Vietnamese. So I decided that actually all of the characters who are sort of named and known from the Potter series are all Americans. And the sort of antagonism really has to do with like intrapersonal conflicts from within men in the same company you know it's not whereas yeah. like the 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 vietnamese enemy is is just sort of like we don't we don't really know them because they they wouldn't have been known right like they they didn't know these people personally they didn't know their names or anything so it's it's kind of something where i present it as the reality which is that like some people went and lived in Vietnam for a year soldiers and came back having learned absolutely nothing about the culture or the language right mm-hmm. like they spent a year in that country they learned absolutely nothing about yeah. who these people were or what their culture was because they had no interest in learning and also because this, the circumstances of war don't provide a strong incentive for like cross-cultural connection so mm-hmm. that that was something where I felt like it, it it made sense to me and it felt ethical to do it that way and it also you know it it allowed me to kind of explore some of the darker and really shittier sides of of what war is in terms of not even just what enemies do to each other but what people on the same side do to each other yeah no that makes sense and so i was wondering also uh you want to talk about like kind of fantasy and sci-fi walls and that kind of thing uh do you what what are your thoughts on this well because i wanted to be like okay we're not just talking about war in general we're talking about writing war so sometimes not all wars are Mm. you know based on real world ones i mean you're certainly writing based on a fantasy war that didn't really happen in real life so what do you feel as somebody who does write more about like a fantasy war how do you think that differs from writing about a real one that actually 
happened in real life and like what do you do when it comes to thinking about like what were their worst weapons or like how was battle typically conducted what was the level of damage done to society and infrastructure from the war given that again this is a made-up world with weapons that don't exist in real life yeah yeah um i think well I think the thing is, I write mostly about the aftermath. So I've not, as you've mentioned, I've not really had to think of like weapons or, or battle scenes or anything like that because JK Rowling did it for me. And I have mm-hmm. on occasion, you know, as you've mentioned, I've written, uh, kind of war scenes where like, you know, there's like, uh, in castles, there's a big ambush at one point. So I did have to think about, you know, what, what would that look like magically speaking but I think generally the thing is Mm -hmm. I'm not really interested in the magic itself and I think that's just something about me as a writer of Harry Potter I I think there's people there's a lot of people who are very interested in you know spells and wand making and (laughs) all of that stuff which I completely respect but that's not really me like that's not Mm -hmm. what I'm interested in and so the kind of thinking that I do in that sense is very Mm -hmm. bare minimum it's like if I absolutely have to think of a spell have to think of a war scenario I will try and think of something sometimes I'll go on discord and ask for other people's opinions just because that's not something that I'm very good at so I think that's the one thing but at the same time Mm -hmm. what I do do and that's something that's come up numerous times in my comment section in the annons that I get on tumblr is there is a very strong parallel between my wars and real life wars. And I think that's where I draw most of the, most of my inspiration mm-hmm. from, even if it is fantasy, is I actually write about real life. You know, there's, there's, I've had people mm-hmm. telling me, oh, so this situation reminded me of this war in my country or this situation in my country. And, you know, this, particular scenario is very much like I don't know the Nuremberg trials or something like that and that's that's what Mm -hmm. I bring to my stories is basically the knowledge that I have of muggle conflicts and what would that look like in a fantasy world and there's a lot of things like violence against women is a huge theme in my work and I think that's just me kind of bringing in my interests in our conflicts and the way that war happens in quote unquote the muggle world or the Mm non-fantasy world and bringing that into the fantasy world in a way that maybe is not done by the original authors of fantasy series because maybe sometimes it's done sometimes it's not it depends on their own interests and how interested they are in like their own magic and stuff so that's that's kind of my view on it. Um, when I when I have to, I will try to think of a fantasy thing. But most of the stuff that I actually write about is inspired by our reality rather than a mm-hmm. kind of fantasy re- reality. I I think um, one thing that interests me about sort of fantasy or sci-fi wars is that there are some which I thought were sort of unrealistic and very fantasy oriented and later learned a little bit more and realized that they were actually more realistic than I thought. So as an example, 
there's a classic novel, Ender's Game, which is a science fiction novel. And to very briefly summarize it, the main battles are fought via like sort of computer simulation, like they are actually killing the aliens, but they think it's a computer simulation. They don't know that they're fighting the real thing. And the people doing it are children who have been identified as like child prodigies mm-hmm. who have been sort of manipulated into doing this without their knowledge or consent. So they're functionally child soldiers. And, you know, reading this as a kid, even as a nine-year-old, I was like, you know, I understand that this is fiction. This wouldn't happen in real life. And I mean, obviously, like alien wars have not happened But the more I read about kind of like Alexander the Great, who, of course, is a real person, he very much was a child soldier and a child general, a child commander, you know, a a kid who at 16 years old was given general level responsibilities in directing men in battle. And he at the, you know, very young age of 20 became a king and a lot of his sort of top advisors and generals I mean some of them were veterans who were kind of older than him and had served his father but a lot of his like childhood and adolescent friends became his top generals so that's like you know it always seems unrealistic to think that like oh they all went to to high school together at Hogwarts and now they're all major <laughs> so you know what I mean like there's like the world isn't that small like that would never happen and yet yeah. Like, in the real world of ancient warfare, Alexander really did appoint as his top generals people who he had been friends with as a child. Not exclusively, but a lot of them were. And then after he died, in real life, they all went to war with each other and all stabbed each other in the back. And these were people who had known each other as children, who had been personal friends as kids. So that is something where you read it and you go, this sounds like more like sci-fi or like fantasy world than like real world, but it is, this is real history. So I I think some things that sound like absolutely unbelievable and bizarre can actually be true. Yeah. No, that's true. And I think that's true generally in fiction. Like a lot of things that seem bizarre and unlikely actually have happened in real life. Um, And sometimes real life surpasses fiction. Um, But yeah, and I wonder, I think a lot of the, a lot of the thoughts that you've expressed and that you kind of put on, on our prep doc um, kind of relate to all the, research that you do in terms of or that you have to do uh in terms of writing a war right so like the language and writing battles Mm -hmm. and you know kind of military science military military things um and you know all that kind of research and also the stuff that you talked about in terms of perception of war in different societies and all that stuff and so I was wondering if you want to talk a little bit I think we'll do a specific episode about research mm-hmm. um but yeah. I was wondering if you wanted to talk a little bit about that and kind of like the sort of important takeaways and important research that you think one would have to do in order to write something war related um yeah so to again like we're gonna have an episode that goes more deeply into like exactly how research is done and like what our styles are but i will say you have to know firstly the scope of the project you're doing and what stuff you want to cover and then that tells you what stuff you need to research because you you can't and won't know everything but you should know like okay what are the really important things that i do need to know in order to write this specific story that i want to tell and then what i would say is that there are going to be times when you come to that topic where you're like do i really have to learn about this i don't like this 
Like for me, it was learning about the physical weapons, like learning about rifles and bullets and stuff. I was very much mm. like, I was not like a kid who drew guns on lined paper. Whatever. I was like, do I really have to learn about this? Like, this is the least interesting part of the war for me. Like, I want to learn about like underground newspapers and like graffiti and like, and like subversive rock music. Yeah. <laughs> but like, but there, there came a point where I realized that like, if somebody wanted to write a realistic story about being a teacher and you read their work and it became obvious that they had never touched a projector in their life and didn't know how a projector worked or that like they thought a pen was something that you sharpened with a pencil sharpener you would get you would get to this point where it's like you're not respecting my experience because you haven't bothered to learn the first thing about things that are like absolutely central to my life and in war it's like if something, if your survival and your life was predicated on you understanding how a certain type of object works, you would make sure you understood how that thing works. So to me, it's like, if you really want to do it, have some respect for the experience and, you know, don't do the equivalent of writing about a teacher, but you describe like sharpening the pen and the pencil sharpener, right? You do actually have to know how some of this stuff works. I know sometimes it's really dry. If you're really not interested in it, maybe you're not interested in writing about war at all. But yeah. like for me, in order to want to like respect that experience and show that I did bother to learn what it was like outside of just the details that personally were most appealing for me, I did learn a lot of the like dry, boring stuff. And it's not necessarily that every dry, boring fact I learned is going to make it into the story. It's more that like certain things won't make it in, which would come across as like stupid or like don't make sense to anybody who who does actually like have experience firing a gun or whatever, you know, just trying to just trying to avoid coming across as somebody who's done like zero seconds mm -hmm. of research. Because like, for example, when I read if I read something set in ancient Greece about characters who are very much warriors, and then somebody describes like stirrups on a horse then that yeah. tells me that like it's not just that you don't know that stirrups weren't invented or available in that culture but it's like you don't understand their warfare at all because the invention of stirrups really revolutionized revolutionized like cavalry based warfare so like if you're writing about warriors who ride horses like actually it is really relevant for you to know whether this culture would have had stirrups or not so i know that's me giving a little bit of tough love but that's that's my opinion <laughs> No, I think it's a very fair opinion. And I think, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll do an episode on research. And obviously, I think I have a different approach to research in the way that I generally, unless it's like something very, very precise that I need for a particular scene, I generally don't do research for the purpose of writing. I do research on things that interest me and then I write about them, which is a different kind of way to look at it. But I think it is true and and to lead into sort of the discussion on writing as well, war, but the aftermath of war, uh, which is something that I'm more familiar with, you know, obviously I would have researched what it looks like to rebuild a society and what um, after a conflict and what does that look like and how do politics get involved and how, you know, I've just found out a lot about different wars and different conflicts and the mistakes that we've made in certain conflicts that we didn't do in other conflicts and all that. And so that would be, that would be research that I inc incorporate as well in terms of the 
kind of political side of the aftermath of war, which is something that I really love to Mm -hmm. write about. And I think is not really written about that much, at least not in the Potter fandom. And I know it's funny because when I started writing Castles, this was something that was very important to me is just like the rebuilding of society, the rebuilding after the war and all that. And Mm -hmm. because that is just a topic that interests me in general. And I was like, no one is going to want to write, to read about this because this is really boring. You know, maybe I'm the only person who's interested in, you know, the rebuilding society and all that stuff. And actually, I get a lot of comments about it and I get a lot of, a lot of people seem to appreciate that side of the story as well, um, which is great personally because it's, it's just, it's something that I really care about and it's something that I think is very interesting. And mm-hmm. it's great to kind of find out that I'm not the only one who's interested in like the aftermath of war on that scale because I think there's a lot of, mm-hmm. there's a lot of fiction written about like mental health at the end of the war and kind of, you know, PTSD and all that. But like the rebuilding of the society and the, what I call wizarding admin in my notes, in my like planning notes or whatever. Um, that's something that I find very interesting and that I really wanted to write about. And I find it funny that I, I used to think I'd be the only one interested in that, but actually it seems that a lot of people are interested in that. So yeah. Yeah. And I think what I really appreciate, and like, I feel like we've, we've also had discussions about this, like not for the podcast, but just the two of us are things like, you know, who's going to be willing to loan wizarding money to the British after they've just gone through (laughs) this massive upending of society and like you know who's being held accountable for the damage that was done to Gringotts when they like broke a dragon through and like like who's being punished for having kept the dragon there in the Mm. first place like who has to pay like how are they going to deal with the goblins like like they've left they've left goblin relations in a complete mess like who who's you know, who's dealing yeah. with that? And I, I know we love talking about the kind of economy and like how messed up they must be at the end of the war um, or mm-hmm. things, you know, to me, it's like, what about the fact that Hogwarts is functionally destroyed? Like, how fast are they going to fix it? Like, where are these kids getting educated in the meantime? Are we going to yeah. have like a generation of like coronavirus type kids who like missed out four years of their education because of this. No, but that's the thing. And there's a line in Castles because I was rereading it recently and there's a line in Castles that always makes me laugh when Kingsley kind of explains to Harry, Ron and Mm -hmm. Hermione that, you know, there's no money in the bank anymore. And he explains that like, there's no tax in the wizarding world like do they pay tax who pays tax and, and who's who is paying for all this stuff in the first place yeah and there's this moment where kingsley is like well when you inherited from sirius you didn't pay tax did you and harry and there's this line that's like it had never occurred to harry that tax could be a thing and it's <laughs> and it's like that's the kind of thing that interests me in in writing all that it's like you know kind of drawing on our own world and what would their world look like after yeah because because that's definitely something one thing rolling does include is like a is like a a lot of nuance with regard to how people behave as like part of the class system like you very distinctly Mm -hmm. see people of different social classes and how kind of segmented they are but there isn't actually a lot of demonstration of like how money works so we see the class system but we don't see we don't really see like any kind of functional or accurate description of how an economy works which is why like why does harry at 11 have access to his entire fortune 
Like, where is the, like, it's not held in trust. Like, you're telling me they let an 11-year-old access all of his money at that, you know what I mean? So I, I find that stuff very interesting, too. Yeah, no, definitely. Okay, I think the last kind of topic that I wanted to discuss that is both related to, like, the war itself and the aftermath of it is mental health. And mm-hmm. I will insert a clip uh, from Peaky Blinders when I edit the episode, which I think is a very interesting clip. So this is Joe from the future now, trying to give you a little bit more context on the scene before I let it play. So the scene is set in episode two, season two of Peaky Blinders, and it features Arthur and Tommy, who are two brothers and who fought in World War One and came back to England. This is set in 1921, so a few years after the war ended. And it follows an incident where Arthur killed a young boxer at a boxing ring because he's had trouble kind of controlling his violent impulses due to his PTSD related to the war and he doesn't really realise what he's doing and he accidentally killed uh, this young boy. Tommy, as the head of the family, is having to deal with the consequences of Arthur's actions. Beware, uh, this contains quite a bit of swearing. I spoke to the doctor and he said the kid probably had a weak heart. We'll look after his mother. It'll be fine. Polly said I should have stuck with the medicine. I said that you know best. It's like a fucking bad toy. Full of heavy cargo, like coal or oil. Sometimes it slips to one end. And the bad tips. I can feel it slipping. And I can feel the bad tipping. But there ain't nothing I can do about it. It's like me fucking edges is like this fucking black fucking bad. And it just fucking drifts in and out, in and out. I was home a long time now, Arthur. I home a long time. I thought you were all right. Yeah, well, I, 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 I don't think I am. Sorry. Take this fucking thing away. from guns and fucking row. Is that it? You think I haven't got enough on? Stop it. Arthur, you think I haven't got enough on? Stop it. The war is done. Shut the door on it. Stop it. Shut the door on it like I did. Um, I think, you know, I could possibly sit here and talk about this clip for hours, both in terms of writing and dialogue and in terms of character building in general. I think the scene is 
stellar. Uh, if you're wondering what happens after it, they end up fighting. Um, and it's a, but it's a very visual experience. So I didn't think it would work on the podcast. But I think what is interesting and relevant to our discussion today is, and the reason why I wanted uh, to insert this clip, is that you see there the sort of contrast between these two brothers who've dealt with the exact same events because they were in the same battles in the same company, but are both, and they're both very damaged but they're coping very differently. Arthur is just incapable of moving on. If you've watched Peaky Blinders, you will know that he is this sort of irrevocably doomed figure from the very start and to the end can never really get away from the war in his head. And Tommy, who says in this clip that he's moved on, that he's shut the door on it, but... Uh, you, we all know that uh, shutting the door on something <laughs> is not necessarily something that works in the long run and Tommy definitely does struggle with the aftermath of the war as well. And I was wondering, Lani, what do you think about sort of the topic in mental health and war in general and kind of dealing with it in fiction? I mean, I think this clip is very good because it kind of shows that contrast and shows different instincts that different people have. But what do you, th- what do you think about it? Um, so I haven't gotten yet to those kind of scenes in Merry Men that take place after the war. There will be some and like that's something I'm really going to explore I'm a little afraid of giving away spoilers, but definitely like there's trauma after a war, but there's also trauma during the war. So that's, that's something that I really explore. And just in terms of discussing things that I have already published, I think you see in my characters, they, they haven't all come overseas at the same time. So they're at different levels of experience. Some of them are almost ready to go home and some of them have just gotten there. And you see differences in sort of behavior and attitude between the newer guys and the more experienced guys, the short timers, meaning that they have a short time left in in country before they can go home. And um, you really see how the attitude develops over the course of the year and how, you know, people who they see as kind of, you know, when they when they first get overseas, they think a lot of these other guys are like heartless, they're sociopathic, they're they're stupid, they're nihilistic, they don't seem to care about death. Their sense of humor is wholly inappropriate. They laugh at things that aren't funny and so on. But then you kind of understand over the course of time, like how people become that way as a result of war. I don't, again, like there's, there's a lot of stuff I I don't want to go into because I I don't want spoilers, but it is, it is definitely something I'm interested um, in addressing. And I'll also be going into the topic of like addiction as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think like, for me personally, the way I approach it is I remember I didn't really set out to write about war and mental health when I started writing specifically castles, but I think even my other fix kind of touch on that as well, especially the Hinny ones and maybe Slipped, which is about sort of the impact that Tom had on their lives uh, after the war. But I didn't really set out, I didn't sit down and was like, okay, I'm going to write a fic about like mental health after a war and you know, that kind of thing. But I did end up, I wanted to write a kind of realistic portrait of what it would look like for them to come back and what life would look like for them after the war. 
And I just found myself writing about it. And then people in the comments mm-hmm. were the first ones saying, oh, this is like a great take. This is uh, like really about PTSD, mental health and all that stuff. And I was like, oh, that's what I'm writing about. Like I didn't, you know, it's not something that I kind of set out to do. It was something that was very kind of gut feeling of like, okay, well, this is how someone would mm-hmm. feel in that position. And then you know, looking at that and building on that. And I think one of the things that I've really, really enjoyed, which kind of relates to the clip that you just heard, is that there's different ways that people cope. And I think that is one of the things that I'm very interested in is there are some characters who I think everyone is affected in some way and everyone has changed. But people change differently and people have different behaviors and those behaviors are not necessarily always rational. They're not always the first Mm -hmm. thing that you would think about. Like some people want to party, some people want to stay at home and under the covers and not get out of their house. And I think that's what is interesting to me is also looking. And I think that's one of the main pieces of advice that I would give to someone writing about like the aftermath of war particularly is that just because you feel like this is how you would react doesn't mean that this is how everyone would react and you need to be very careful Mm -hmm. about having a representative mindset and a representative picture of what it would Mm -hmm. look like for different characters they no one comes back from a war the exact same as they were when they went in but people change in different ways and people cope in different ways and I think that's like something that you need to think about either by researching so if you're like the kind of person who would do research on mental health or things like that or like watch interviews from former soldiers or things like that can be a really good way to see it research as well like what fiction does what other people have done or if you're just someone who like me kind of functions on the basis of their gut and being like okay of vibes and being like okay this is how someone would react uh, that's perfectly valid as well but just know that the obvious answer to you is not necessarily the obvious answer to everybody and I actually wrote a post on Tumblr just a couple of days ago about how there is a situation in castles and like everyone is right and everyone is wrong at the same time and there's no kind of hero in it and and I think that's a that's a very important thing to think about is kind of like the diversity in that in in that way mm-hmm. definitely and I think as well it's about the individuality of characters So we know that characters are always acting differently based on their personality. So, of course, they're going to process trauma differently. And also some people are just naturally less affected by trauma than others. Like there's statistics on what percentage of soldiers get PTSD. And my initial assumption was the answer to that is of warriors who see combat, you know, 100%. But it's actually not 100%. It's a lot, but it's not 100 So, you know, surprisingly enough, like, there has to be some understanding that actually not everybody is emotionally devastated forever by the end of a war. That's like a some people thing. It's not an everyone thing. Yeah, 100%. So I think we're going to wrap up here. Um, do you have any recommendations for us, Lani, today? Yes, so definitely related to all of the concepts concepts we're talking about today as well as like Remembrance Day and November 11th is the Regeneration Trilogy by Pat Barker, which is about um, 
officers in the British in the British Army um, during World War One recuperating from sort of mental breakdowns at a, a hospital that's meant to heal them and then send them send them back to the front lines and a psychologist who treats them and most of the uh, principal characters are based on real people including some very famous poets whose names you might recognize um, so that's what I would recommend. For me, in terms of understanding like trauma-related behaviors and aggression, I read um, Achilles in Combat by Jonathan Frey, which is kind of a, a really interesting nonfiction book. Uh, sorry, Achilles in Vietnam uh, is the title. And yeah, so I've mentioned Ender's Game, which is, I think, a great reference if you want to look at like a completely fictional war in a sci-fi universe that still has some really interesting like psychological depictions of war. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm going to recommend, I cannot believe, so I was actually looking at the notes, I cannot believe I've not recommended it before, uh, but I'm going to recommend what I believe personally, and I will defend this opinion, uh, is the best TV series of all time, uh, Peaky Blinders. If you follow me on Tumblr, you will know I am obsessed. And I mean, I, it's fine. it's fine that you're wrong about what the best TV show of all time is. <laughs> I, I will defend this opinion to my grave. The writing is incredible. The aesthetics are incredible. The acting is through the roof. I mean, there, it features the King of Ireland. I bestow this title on him, Killian Murphy, uh, who is one of the best actors of his generation. For anyone who's watched Potter, Helen McCrory plays a huge part in Peaky Blinders. For anyone who doesn't know uh, this TV series, um, it is about a family of illegal bookmakers in Birmingham um, and it deals a lot with, so it basically spans between 1919 and 1933 and um, kind of looks at that time period between uh, the two wars in England and specifically deals with the trauma as we've heard in the clip of the boys and coming back from the first world war um and it is i i cannot believe i didn't think of recommending it during uh, our episode on dialogue because i was re look like looking at it again uh and and it's just it, the dialogue on peaky blinders is just absolutely masterful and and the series is amazing and I will shut up now because I could talk about it for ages I think it's one of those shows where I could write like multiple dissertations about it um <laughs> but I will uh, definitely 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 recommend you give it a watch especially you know with Rem- Remembrance Day and all that it definitely deals a lot with the theme of war and and kind of the aftermath and if you like politics there's a lot of politics as well from those times including you know the revolution in Russia, um, the Irish Civil War, and the rise of na- the rise of Nazism. So, uh, all very good topics, and it's a great, great show, and I definitely recommend it. Okay, Lani, where can we find you online? Um, you can find me at Copper Dust on Ao3 and also on Tumblr. It might be an underscore or a dash. I don't know, but I think it works either way. All the links are in the show notes anyway. And I'm Pebbly Send on Tumblr and AO3. And you can find the podcast at uh, thefanficwriterscraft.tumblr.com if you have any feedback, questions, or any topics that you would like us to talk about. Well, this was lovely. Thank you so much for listening. And we'll see you next time. 
Bye, everyone. Bye.